This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news summary for the week of September 6th. And as always, we have Nick Azoulay. How's it going, Nick? I'm doing well. How are you, George? Uh, I'm doing well, too. You were just telling us your uh, your family's house got a, got a little bit of flooding uh, as part of that hurricane that came through, huh? A little bit. We, we were fortunate, only about an inch in our basement, but um, unfortunately, many businesses and homes in my area were, quite frankly, destroyed, um, which is really sad. But we'll talk more about that and the nonprofit angle, and I've gotten to see a lot of amazing grassroots community organizing, um, so... There's uh, some positives, some light in the the midst of what was really a, a freak storm. I don't think the New York metro area has ever been hit this hard by anything. Yeah, well, as we roll into it, let's uh, let's talk about some of our summary topics that we have pulled out here, starting with uh, the news at EHRC. Yeah, so this story comes from the New York Times, and that is that the president of the human rights campaign has been fired after it was revealed in an investigation of ties to Cuomo and that the president, Alfonso David, potentially advised the um, office of the governor under Cuomo in how to handle responses to allegations of, of sexual assault. Um, So Alfonso David, um, a prominent LGBTQ plus advocacy uh, proponent and the head of this organization was fired. Apparently, the internal decision making process was quite contentious around this. Um, uh, For his part, he insists he did nothing wrong and supported the um, bringing in of an external law firm to conduct an investigation into his involvement. Um, But this actually, if listeners will remember, follows another story about executives at Time's Up that was just a couple weeks ago, um, also with close ties to the Cuomo administration and potentially uh, advising um, that office and in, in handling these claims then. And I think, I think it goes to show that um, not nonprofits need to be, of course, work with governments and government organizations, but need to be very, very wary about um, you know, protecting the organization should a politician uh, come out and do something untoward. It's unique in a nonprofit too, because it is the board. We, we mentioned this, the board of directors has the power to hire and fire the CEO as one of its primary duties, frankly, obviously in the uh, oversight and, you know, some guidance and stewardship and elements like that, and making sure that the uh, the mission is aligned with the actions of, of a nonprofit. But this type of thing is, is not foreign to nonprofits and boards are, you know, seemingly called on quite frequently to make these types of calls. And, and they tend to be risk averse because at the heart of it, a big thing that I think brands are trying to do is protect the brand, the brand of the nonprofit, the reputation of this nonprofit in the communities that they work with, and also, let's be honest, the donors that they need to solicit. And so I think there's a a lot that goes into this uh, that may not seem, you know, depending on what side you are, fair on the face of it to say, you know, does your involvement with somebody who, uh, you know, was in, in Cuomo's case, certainly in the wrong, but, you know, as part of that process, uh, I I could see, um, 
I can see that board being in a very difficult uh, situation, but it's also important as you sit in a nonprofit and you understand that nuanced relationship that a CEO has with their board. Absolutely. That's a great call out. I can move to our next story, which is also in some ways a follow up on a thread that we've been following closely here at the pod. And that is an interesting story also from the New York Times about a desire to help Afghan refugees um, throughout the United States and a desire that in many ways kind of bridges the intense political divide in the country. Um, This article was highlighting grassroots efforts in quite conservative areas um, with otherwise quite conservative churches and organizations stepping up to the plate um, to welcome Afghan refugees coming to the country. Um, We've said it before and we'll say it again, it's an all hands on deck effort and nonprofits are going to be at the forefront of this. Um, But this is a really interesting article and I think it's an interesting thread here about um, understanding how Americans see themselves in the world. Um, And I think that there's a narrative here about Americans understand and are taking moral responsibility for what's happening in Afghan and are stepping up to help Afghans. Um, Immigration and refugee resettlement is quite a contentious topic in America, particularly over the past five, six, seven years. Um, But it's really great to see this effort. You know, of course, there are still detractors, um, both on the local and national level, who are pushing hard against this sort of thing. But um, at the end of the day, it looks like people are stepping up. And I think this is really cool and and heartwarming to see. Yeah, the narratives here, which are just, you know, so interestingly played out, you know, traditionally churches have been the backbone of, of giving and charitable activity in our country, if you really turn back the clock. And they have this, you know, testimony from uh, one woman saying, like, she tried to get her church, um, you know, that seemingly from this was in a red district, her church to, to care for the immigrants coming across from Mexico. And they made the statement that is like, look, this is just not our focus. Now, all of a sudden she's like with Afghanistan, something has completely shifted. And I think it is uh, in part that I, I think from that perspective, Afghans that supported our military are considered uh, sort of under that umbrella of, we take care of our troops, we take care of our veterans, and we take care of the people that worked hand in hand with, uh, certainly on the front lines, hand in hand with uh, the U.S. military and our interests uh, during during this uh, during this engagement. And we've, uh, I think the numbers here that they're saying is like expecting about 50,000, 50,000 um, uh, immigrants coming into, into our country, which is going to, you know, like you said, all hands. Um, it's a, bi- hopefully continues to be bipartisan, though, you know, that kind of flies in the face of what some of, uh, you know, Fox pundits have been talking about, like cultural dilution and flooding, uh, you know, being used to flood swing districts and, you know, essentially politicize this. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be taking hold, um, according to this article and, and for some of this, uh, some of this work, which is which is excellent because 50,000 people is a lot of folks um, who, are, who are coming basically with uh, the shirt on their back and have certainly been through uh, a measure of trauma. So, uh, you know, 
I am, this made me smile. Um, I'm happy when we align, we can do a lot of good. This week's sponsor, none other than Whole Whale, a digital agency helping social impact organizations build traffic and measure impact. However, they also have an amazing new tool, the Inclusivity Crawler, the inclusivity tool that helps you find language that may be offensive to some of your stakeholders and shareholders. It looks through issues of ethnicity, race, gender, health, wealth, religion, and a number of other isms, frankly, that maybe you didn't have in mind when you wrote that content last year, last two years, a decade ago. The inclusivity tool will go through a page or even your entire website if you need it and help you find language and replace that language with the kinds of words that will be welcoming. Inclusivitytool.com. Again, that's inclusivitytool.com. And now back to our show. Absolutely. Um, And I think and I hope that even the experience of interacting and welcoming in people um, like Afghan civilians will in turn further uh, compassion and the same kind of outpouring um, down the road, you know, for other people who might need it. Um, So I'm hopeful here. This article left me hopeful. Thanks, Nick, for for bringing that up. And moving into our summary pieces, let's cover some of what we're seeing. Sure. So our first headline is that nonprofits are working to boost COVID resources in Hispanic communities. This article comes from Asheville, North Carolina, and it is about a nonprofit that is just um, that received a grant to do particularly Hispanic community outreach Um, to bring COVID-19 related resources um, to Western North Carolina. Um, And this is, of course, a local story, which we love to highlight, but I think it goes into that that larger narrative that nonprofits are at the forefront and still are of helping folks get the information and resources they need to make informed decisions about COVID, particularly around the vaccine. We are not anywhere near out of the woods yet. Um, I'm hopeful we won't be soon, but as of now, we are not. Um, and nonprofits at this point, it is, it's going to be the organizations that are built into the community. It's going to be the organizations that have those one-on-one personal communal relationships that are going to make the difference. Um, so this is uh, great work, and we're excited to see it. And there's so many other organizations doing very similar work. Yeah, these community-based organizations, I know this sounds like a small one, but it, it's something that we're seeing across the board. And so this is a, you know, just one example of a community-based organization doing the work to reach a, uh, a disproportionately affected population um, in, uh, you know, in, Carolina, in North Carolina. Absolutely. I can move to our next story. And this is about a nonprofit working to break the grass ceiling in the Missouri cannabis industry. Um, A good one for folks who like puns and cannabis, but um, this is about a nonprofit that is, has identified a gap 
a need for change in a burgeoning industry, that is the cannabis industry, and is stepping in to make a difference, particularly around um, gender equity and inclusion issues. Um, So this nonprofit is helping women um, in particular um, grow and um, start their own businesses and do lots of great work within the cannabis industry, particularly in Missouri in this case. Um, But it's it's kind of an interesting... because this is a a cutting edge industry, right? This is a new industry recently legalized in a lot of places. Um, And I think that I like seeing nonprofits that are super responsive to issues, but new issues in new industries. And I think this is, yeah, this is a great example of a nonprofit kind of staying on top of a, a trend identifying it early and uh, hoping to to make some change there. I like seeing nonprofits jump in with uh, an economic intervention, something that is saying, hey, here's uh, an opportunity and here's a way to give uh, support to an underrepresented group of folks in, in that industry. So many of our industries, especially in capitalism, are sort of locked and loaded. The train is on the tracks and then you're trying to undo generations of effects and impacts, but this is sort of getting in day one in respect to legalization of marijuana in states and the plethora of businesses that uh, opportunities that open up, but not necessarily to everybody. And so I like seeing nonprofits step up onto this. And this is coming from the St. Louis Public Radio uh, NPR station, I think. Great. Thanks for the citation there. Yeah, great to <laughs> great to see. I can move into our next one. And George, I'll, I'll summarize it, but I'm going to let you explain it. Um, but a group called Fast Food Punks, which is online NFT group of some sort, um, has raised $600,000 for charity by selling fast food inspired NFTs. Um, no, I don't know how this works. Yes, it's very cool. <laughs> All the money is going to the Ronald McDonald house, um, helping kids in particular, and it's a great cause. And, you know, NFTs, it's like creating money out of nothing for nonprofits. I dig it. Yeah, so NFT standing for non-fungible tokens. A thousand of these were created and they're building on, this is sort of the sort of derivative type of art that has grown around punks um, and crypto punks, which are sort of uh, really being held as the original, the OGs, the most valued types of uh, NFT art. And so basically they take those graphics and they throw these little uh, McDonald's hats on them. Um, And so there is a group of folks willing to to pay money for that. And that money is being sent to the Ronald McDonald house. I pulled this out, not, you know, I think it ended up being about $600,000. It may end up growing to more, but we're seeing more of these projects. These projects on uh, non-fungible tokens have charity components. There's so much wealth being passed back and forth that actually the charity element is beginning to become in some respects, in some cases for marketing, a differentiator, a reason, another reason to buy into it. Make no mistake, the people that are buying these things uh, for this amount of money do care about the inherent value, the, the moment in time, the time pieces, 
and, and the resale value of this asset. I know you may roll your eyes when I say the word asset, but think about it. donations generated. Assets are given to the donors like a thank you note, except this note happens to be permanently on the blockchain. I bring it up too, because I think there's a lot more opportunities for uh, other nonprofits out there to do some of these hybrid uh, types of, of fundraising efforts. Uh, if you do have uh, brand reputation and other types of assets. So won't be the last thing you hear me bring into the news. Thanks, George. That was <laughs> so much better than I could have ever attempted. That's... You did great. I think it's important. You know what? I think I uh, I spend a little bit more time in that ecosystem, but when I when I approach it, I do it as sort of like like a, more of an insider. I'm like, oh, obviously you know about these things, and it's really helpful to sort of hear the initial sort of confusion and skepticism of which there should be uh, around things like this, and so uh, it's very helpful. Absolutely. Happy, happy to help. <laughs> Our last story is just a shout out to the International Day of Charity. The International Day of Charity is on September 5th, and it was adopted by the UNGA, United Nations, United Nations General Assembly back in 2012, and is celebrated every September 5th. And it is tied to commemorate the death of Mother Teresa. Um, I like charity. I like international cooperation. Seems like a good day. Um, <laughs> I have nothing more to add, but you know, hopefully that um, a day is like this, and when we more intentionally think about um, particularly global issues and global injustice issues, um, we can more better, as a global community, allocate resources and, and dedicate time to to solving those really really big problems. But. Um, Happy International Day of Charity. Yeah, important to note, though it doesn't drive the type of donations and cultural action that uh, Giving Tuesday does. Doesn't mean it won't grow there, but uh, I like looking at these uh, national, national moments for nonprofits. All right, Nick, what do we have on the feel good front? Sure, I got a good story for you, George. Um, this is a great story that after losing his job in New York City, a chef has started a nonprofit to feed veterans, particularly uh, veterans and other Long Islanders in need. Um, I feel like we've seen a lot of stories about people who worked in the food industry and um, you know were, were forced to uh, you know pivot. And here's just a great story of someone who's um, pivoted into helping in, people in need um, doing something good. And yeah, I, I think the, the man here, um, Joe Pravata, said um, that, that with 9-11 uh, coming up, um, it's, particularly important, it's particularly important to help veterans um, in, in their time of need. And, and quite frankly, veterans need better support in this country. So I just wanted to, to highlight this great story coming out of Long Island from local CBS uh, New York affiliate. Yeah, it says that the nonprofit has fed more than 180,000 families um, since uh, since their work began, which is incredible. And we knew uh, it was certainly needed through the through the pandemic and great to turn something of, a, you know, I lost my job and then created something of such impact is a great narrative. So good way to end. Nick, thanks 
for sharing all of those helpful news items and summaries. Nonprofitnewsfeed.com is where you can get the weekly email with links and resources for this podcast. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas Music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 